0: Welcome to episode 17 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my charitable co-host, Eddie Kramer. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. And today, we're pulling up the virtual third chair again, so joining us tonight is Chris Lee, self-taught maker extraordinaire and fellow Insta machinist. If you're not driving right now, you can pull him up on Instagram as chrislee.design, and check out his work to add a little more context to our conversation tonight. So, Eddie, Chris, how are you guys doing? I'm doing great, Winston. I'm
1: doing great too. Thanks for having me.
2: Our pleasure. Yeah, great to have you on, Chris. Um, yeah, so I think you and I we we started talking, or I guess direct messaging on Instagram, probably about a year ago, right? When you were you were looking at uh, uh, expanding beyond your shapeoko to something. I think you were looking for something with a little more precision for the work you're doing. Uh, And so we started talking about the uh, Nomad 883. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what kind of what drove you to go look for uh, a small, accurate desktop machine?
1: This whole thing started because uh, I wanted to get into like fabrication and stuff. And I ended up making like this exhaust for this motorcycle, did a production run, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I ended up getting into this hobby called Tamiya Mini 4 Wheel Drive. And my buddy Scott, who owns a shop called Dixon Provisions, Um, we wanted to make custom parts for this. So for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like there's a box kit and you can build this little car made out of plastic parts. You put two AA batteries in and you run it on a track with walls. The car has like these rollers on the sides of the car that guide it when it's turning. So there's one lane change. So that's how the cars will do three different laps, you know, in each run. And we got into this hobby because we went to Japan and we noticed there's this huge, like custom market overseas, like in Japan. And nobody in America uh, was doing that stuff or let alone this hobby kind of died off because this was something that Scott and I did when we were really young, like 10, 12, when hobby shops were kind of all over the place in California. Now there's very hard to find like more than, you know, two or three in the area. So we kind of got back into the hobby. He ended up opening his own shop And then from there, it kind of started with, okay, let's get into CNC, I, this is, I've never done anything like this before. Um, I've, you know, barely picked up a wrench prior to that. And like, this is all kind of new to me. So it was like a huge deep dive learning curve, but I, I felt like, you know, I had to do it because otherwise we wouldn't never be able to get the parts that we wanted or the things that we wanted to sell. So it started off with the Shipoko because we Googled like CNC on YouTube and Winston's videos pops up and we're watching his videos. He's kind of explaining like, you know, the Shipoko three how it is and it looked great um so we ended up getting the shepoko xxl thinking that this big massive machine and we would cut two millimeter parts or recess holes and stuff and you know we got it and basically it's i spent two months failing and not getting anything made um, i think that's when i ended up getting onto instagram and i found you because you had both the nomad and the other mill or now the bantam tools cnc so i I think that's how we started talking because i had questions about like hey which one do you think is better and um i think i ended up going with the nomad just for the fact that uh it was like uh somebody on the forums was selling two for like a really cheap price so i ended up picking up two used ones just to kind of get my feet wet to see if i could do this and then basically spent the next you know uh, three six months learning fusion three sixty, a la, you know, NYC Saunders, uh, being inspired by Grismo and all those like great fusion three sixty tutorials and kind of getting my, my feet wet into the whole catting process. Um, and then, you know, okay, I got to the point where like, okay, I can you can give me something, I can draw it, no problem. Then it was like, okay, what about camming, like tool paths, actually getting to like cutting something? And then that was like a whole other couple months of learning and failing. And then, then I finally get to like fixturing and nobody tells you this, but fixturing to me was like one of the most difficult challenges for me to learn because the parts I were trying to make, they weren't like regular shapes, like squares and circles. They were really oblong, like obtuse, weird corners and radiuses for like carbon fiber parts and stuff. And like, you couldn't do simple bolt downs because, you know, we were trying to like do facing operations at angles and stuff. So it was a huge learning curve, uh, but it took a lot of time, but that's when I got the Nomad, it really helped me kind of learn this whole process. And I wasn't scared to make mistakes because I crashed a bunch of times, but it doesn't really matter. These things are pretty pretty tank-like. And $10, $15 end mill was not a problem if you broke it. So um, I just went gung-ho about it and basically dedicated my entire evenings after work um, just to do that and learn. Um, And then when that started to go pretty well, we started to make a few things to sell. I decided like, okay, maybe this is something that I could do for a living. Uh, Something that I could do uh, uh, because my current job uh, is I'm a nurse and that's my nine to five. Uh, And this is like a huge pivot for me because it's a totally opposite direction. None of my skills translate. And I, I spent about nine months kind of debating whether or not I should do this. Because I've been in the medical field for over 10 years now. And uh, it took me about nine months and um, doing the nomad stuff, learning, making parts before I decided like, okay, you know what, let me, I know I want to do this, but I don't know what this is. Like, what part of manufacturing do I want to be a part of? It's such a huge industry with all these different facets. So I decided to go to uh, Mount Sac Community College because they had a really great uh, machine shop and they have three hosses and uh, mills and two lathes and stuff. So as soon as I walked in, I was sold. I started class there in the IDE class, which is the industrial design engineering, which is like kind of a mix of mechanical engineering and industrial design, you know, making pretty things that actually function. Uh, Went there for two semesters and uh, met a bunch of great people. Uh, the director, the chair there, Stephen James, he's, he was so helpful in just kind of letting me loose on the big machines and giving me permission to do that because I wasn't actually enrolled in any class that was sp- supposed to use those machines. Um, and then I ended up meeting uh, th- this guy who's now a close friend of mine. His name is Brood, who kind of mentored me uh, about how to jump from the Nomad to the Haas. And, you know, he basically taught me what buttons to push, how to do this, you know, the kind of the general stuff like using a dial indicator, like all this stuff was new to me because when you're on a small machine, you kind of just, you know, move the end mill down, touch the top of the stock, zero everything out, hit go. But on an industrial machine, like you have all these cool tools like probing, you know, we can use like different types of things. So he kind of let me, he taught me how to get on that. And once I got on those machines, I never wanted to leave. So like we would have class till like two, and I would stay till like 10 PM and just make like anything that I can make. You know, like if you check my Instagram, like I basically documented everything that I've ever made since I started my journey with the nomad back in February of last year. So that kind of led to, um, uh, me kind of figuring out like, oh, there is there is a part of manufacturing that I really like and that's injection molding. They have a uh, Morgan Press injection molder that shoots about five ounces of plastic and we started making molds. So I made like two molds there uh, and using the Haas to do that and we made like actual parts that came out and I, I instantly fell in love and like just the, the idea of like making the thing that makes other things was super cool to me because it, it kept the job kind of different every time. And if you're a mold designer, you're always making different molds because you have to suit, you know, the customer's needs and stuff like that. So I like fast paced changing environments. And I started noticing like around the house, like, oh man, everything is injection molded. I can see ejector pin marks everywhere. And so I can't believe I've never noticed this before. Like ribs, you know, all these things, draft angle, like everything started to appear. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is crazy. So that's when at the end of the program about the two semesters, um, I decided like, okay, I'm gonna dock up my resume. Let's see with the skills that I have now, what uh, what what's out there. So. I ended up uh, applying for this job at MR Mold. And it's just by sheer luck. I got an interview after walking in and then they offered me a position. And um, I'm actually working there now as the uh, injection mold design engineer in their department. Um, I'm also working as a nurse still in the evening. So I'm double timing it until they can find a replacement. But that's kind of like where I am as far as uh, the whole trajectory and stuff of my path and like how I got there.
2: That's a pretty inspiring story to kind of switch from... Yeah, you know, I guess what you were planning on doing probably the rest of your career to kind of a new a new passion play, right?
1: It's it was scary, you know, and like uh, I I hope people listening like if you're kind of in my position, like if you find something you're passionate about, you should do it because I love the nursing that I do. I work in the oncology mm-hmm. field, so it's pretty pretty gratifying working with those kind of patients and stuff. But it made me realize like time is really short. And and life is short. So if I'm not doing something that I absolutely love, then no matter where I am in my life, I should be able to drop it, turn and go another direction and go look for that happiness. You know, and um, so far it's worked out. And I I think I'm lucky. You know, I I met a lot of great people and I think I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a lot of people helping me out. You know, you guys included. Um, So it's been it's been amazing. Um, I feel like like just luck super lucky that this kind of stuff keeps happening. And here I am on a podcast talking about my life. Like it gets even crazier, you know, by the minute.
2: To me, a car is it, They're small, right? I'm assuming they're like,
1: uh,
2: how big are they?
1: Uh, Their scale is 132. Um, they're about 165 millimeters in length. I think 70 or 105 millimeters in width. Um. So, yeah, it's like a regular box kit. So the car is like super basic, right? It barely has anything. And But the fun part is when you get to like the advanced classes. We call it open class. And basically, you're allowed to machine, cut, uh, trim, shave anything as long as it's an original part from the Tamiya company. And so you can get really intense creative with these things because uh, people were taking like um, – these carbon fiber plates, stacking them on top of each other, putting recess cuts for springs and making like a movable sliding damper. So when the car enters a corner, it like pivots off the spring and it pushes off to gain speed. So I I love this stuff because it's like micro engineering on a really small scale, but there's like, you know, how do you keep the car from not bouncing out after you're going super fast and there's like a jump or there's like a 30 or 40 degree bank or there's like these crazy types of like features in the racetrack and you race three or five people at a time So there's all this crazy stuff going on. But I think the most uh, amazing thing about it is like you have to engineer everything before you let go. Because once you let go of the car, you just have to watch it run. And there's a lot of factors like luck, you know, vibration, you know, physics, inertia, like everything. So it's like it's such a small like kid hobby. But like if you dive into it, it gets really, really fun. And like the engineering aspect is like super advanced. And that's kind of what push me to get into the CNC so that we can make these really cool complex parts for these cars and make them go faster.
2: Basically, you're not making them from scratch. You have to take a, a pre-manufactured part, right, and somehow figure out how to work hold that and modify it, which that's not, like, to me, that's not the traditional way uh, self-taught hobby machinists start. Like, that's more challenging, I think, than what a hobbyist might deal with starting from raw material, right? Because holding is a little simpler when you're starting with a block or, or plate um, versus like a pre-existing manufactured part that you got to hold and locate very precisely, right? Because I, I can use big stock and kind of get my part cut out of it, even if I'm off a little bit, right? <laughs> um, as long as I have enough meat in the stock to kind of allow for that. I don't have to be necessarily too careful about dialing in the stock on the machine. Yeah, if I had like a pre-existing part and I needed to put a hole like right in the center of it, Right, you're you're right into the same processes you got to use on the big machines, you know, locating bore and uh, bore center line and all that kind of stuff. So that that's interesting that you started with the, you started the hard way.
1: Yeah, and it it definitely felt like that. And I remember one point, I'm like, am I am I even good at this? Like, you know, because it was super frustrating. Like these parts are like really sem- like within quarter of a millimeter tolerance. Like, you know, if, if two holes are apart by 100 millimeters, then you have to make sure it's always about that same because they use dimensional stuff to check if the car is legal in racing. So you can't be off by that much because then it won't fit in the dimension box. So it, it was like a I think I did make it a lot harder for myself, but I didn't know it. I didn't know any otherwise, you know, I, that was just to me, like, that's just how you do it. So uh, it took a long time. Like, I think one fixture that I made uh, for these parts, it took me like almost six months to develop. I think I did like 10 or 12 different iterations, failed a bunch of times and finally got it working recently. And now my friend can just go there and hit start and make parts now. So that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. So one of, one of the things I remember about kind of watching your your progress with your Nomad is like the first couple of weeks, I was kind of helping you out and uh, giving you some tips. And then it wasn't very long before uh, I was starting to kind of, the information was flowing the other way. I was learning from you. I mean, it, it was no time before you had like a, a toolmaker's vice up and running on that machine and some pretty, uh, pretty innovative work holding. So I remember uh, it, it was fun to kind of watch your progress with the Nomad.
1: Yeah, like I, I got a two inch screwless vice because I was like, I need to start holding stuff. And it was funny because after all that hard fixturing, then I got into like raw stock. And then it was like, Oh, okay, this is way easier. But I noticed yeah, and then I noticed on the nomad, like, well, there's I, I the vice wasn't in stock uh, that they had. The fixture plate wasn't in stock that they had. So I was like, Okay, I gotta I need these things first. So uh, because at this point I had access to the Haas, I made my own um Eight by eight threaded table, so I did like an M six by one half inch uh, center to center, and I did that. I started making these, uh, you know, stop brackets and fixture clamps. Um, I tried to do like uh, just basically like create a fixture and trying to figure out all these things that I can make for myself to use, um, and then that helped a lot. You know, making different parts, uh, learning from you like that trick with the adaptive thing where you offset. By a little bit so that the uh, adaptive path can kind of go back and forth on the outline. That was super, super nifty. Um, And between you and Winston kind of helping me, like it really was able to get me through these like walls that I would hit and help me keep going. So I've always been really appreciative of that.
0: I just want to jump in with a little bit of context for the viewers. Uh, Chris, you got your Nomad after the Shape and you sent me an email. I looked this up about the Shape back in October of 2017. So basically, you've gotten to this point in less than a year and a half, which is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, we got in October, I got the Nomad in February, and then I started school in March. Um, and then this whole year has just been a blur. It's just nonstop, you know, everything. So, And then now I'm a <laughs> I'm mold designer, which is crazy to me. That, that's kind of the value of having, uh, I don't know,
2: deadlines, right, word, but you, you had something you had to get done, right? You had... People waiting on parts. You had uh, uh, you and your I don't know if it's a partner or friend um, that were working on the car parts. You guys, you know, you had a business, right? So there's a little bit of extra pressure to become productive once you invest in a machine like this. When I first got my Bantam machine, I spent probably four months just dorking around with it, doing little parts and, you know, stuff I would see on uh, Instagram or YouTube, like more, more like techniques, right? Not actually finished parts, I'd be trying like adaptive clearing and just some raw material and stuff. Um, it wasn't really until I came up with something that I wanted to try to sell that I actually started learning much faster, right? Had purpose. So I'm a big advocate of, you know, have some goal or some purpose, right. To kind of keep you always growing. And, um, it sounds like you had a bunch of, a bunch of irons in the fire in that respect.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, at first I was starting to feel a little overwhelmed because I had so many things going on. But then at one point I kind of stopped taking new stuff. And then I realized I, I kind of like having my plate full because it allows me to manage my time better to pick projects to work on. Because, you know, sometimes when you're catting stuff, you get stuck. And design wise, it's like, okay, it allows me to kind of jump into another project, work on something, and then kind of come back when an idea hits me. So um, I had the I was making injection molds at school. I was working for these fixture things for my friend at uh, Dixon Provisions, and then on when I got home, I would try to just design my own stuff because I wanted to make you know cool things as well. So kind of juggling all these, uh, and also oh, and also my friend's motorcycle shop. Um, I was helping them make some parts for like a TP an air sensor for one of their motorcycle uh, intakes. So that was fun. That's when I got to use the Aero five hundred. Uh, I got to learn how lucky we all have to be able to use something like a Haas because using that controller from 1995, it was like nightmare and headaches and lots of alcohol to get through all that. So, yeah, just super, you know, keeping busy and like keeping focused. Um, I remember, you know, there's that book out there. It's like if you really want to be good something or good at something, you got to spend like 10,000 hours. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to achieve that, but I was like, okay, I need to put every single hour that I'm not working into doing CAD cam, CNC, product design, anything. So, you know, I was spending, you know, as much time as I can on anything. So as soon as I got off work, it would be till, you know, five to midnight or one in the morning, I'd be doing something related to that. I stopped watching TV, I stopped playing video games, like I gave up everything kind of just to focus on this, because I needed to know as fast as possible, like, am I good at this? Is it worth leaving a very you know, lucrative medical field career to do something like this. And I'm, I'm like 34, so I'm not exactly young. And, you know, at this point, I shouldn't be making these kind of changes. Uh, so I really needed to prove to myself that I could do this and I could do it well, because if I wasn't going to be able to do it well, I don't think I would have uh, done the change. It sounds like
2: you're definitely on a great trajectory for continuing to get better and better, uh, especially like mold making is very challenging, um, I think that's some of the best machining I see out there. Uh, you know, it's one of the, I guess, specialties that really, really care about surface finish, right?
1: That, that's exactly why I got so attracted to that, because they live in, like, tents. And a a thou is like a mile, you know, like, so I love their finishes. They have to be on point accurate. On top of that, they have to be able to, you know, make the mold, test it, and then put it back on the machine and dial in those tolerances and holes or fix something again. So I figured if I want to be good at something like product design or designing, if I can make a mold, I can make anything and that's kind of why I, I'm going this way because I figure if I can learn on the job and also make myself better as a product designer, like it's a win-win for me.
2: So you're pretty well kitted out with uh, Carbide 3D gear. I think you but you just got a, a new acquisition in your home shop, right?
1: Yeah, uh, the guys at Bantam Tools and Zach was there nice enough to send me the machine and like as soon as I got it, it came at like the most perfect time because like Autodesk Cam Challenge, last minute stuff. So I'm busting two spindles at once and I'm just absolutely in love with the 26k rpm spindle. It's like the thing that's been missing from my life that I never knew I needed because it's pretty cool and it's it's amazing to get those kind of surface feet per minute uh, with that thing with the small end mills. So definitely loving that machine.
2: Yeah, it's a great little machine. I love that, you know, the form factor and um how much you can do with in that such a small space, right? With the and it's quick, right? It's quick and it's accurate and uh it's quiet and it's very well self-contained as far as the mess, the enclosures, uh, like as one of the, one of the things I really liked about it. I have two here now, which I'm really happy about. I keep them both pretty busy. Um, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what you do with it. Just the parts I saw coming off today look really, really good. Look out Autodesk cam challenge.
1: I mean, we're, you know, us three hobbyist guys, we're like competing against like million dollar five access machines and stuff. But I mean, it's just, it's fun, you know, to try to make the best thing that you can make with the the tools that you have and getting creative and like pushing yourself. I think that's what this challenge is really about. So uh, I always love seeing the entries and what you can make. So looking forward to what we see uh, on Wednesday over here.
2: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the big, the big um, instant machinists that that have access to the... the you know, six, six and seven figure uh, CNC machines um, always, always place well in that contest. But as I recall, you, you placed last year. Um, I can't remember exactly. It was either honorable mention or um, one of the 10 top spots, which I thought was pretty fantastic. Because you, you were still pretty new on your Nomad at the time. And I, I'm trying to think that may have been the only hobby machine that kind of placed at all last year.
1: I don't remember if it was honorable mention or top 10, but I did get a swag bag. So that was cool. I got like a nice uh, Autodesk polo shirt that I love um, and like a like a shop shirt and stuff like that. So that was, that was definitely cool. And, you know, it's, it's little stuff like that, like little things that happen that really reinforce like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Keep going. Because I think if it wasn't for things like that um, and making cool stuff that people seem to be responding to, I don't think I would have been as confident, you know, like now after everything that's happened, I look back and I'm like, okay, I made the right choice. I'm doing the thing that I was made to do and I'm okay. I'm going to be all right. Cause you know, it's really scary to do the the change, especially leaving a 10 year career, but, uh, super grateful that everything's working out. And I think even being on this podcast is a great thing for that. Like I'm here, like you guys are talking to me and that's, that's cool. Like, I never would have thought that I'd be someone, you know, interesting enough to talk to. So this is definitely a humbling and amazing experience.
2: Well, we're, we're very happy to have you here. And I know you, you'd probably agree with this sentiment. You know, I tell people that uh, just interested in getting into this stuff uh, as a hobby um, at home, even for non-commercial reasons, you know, they're always like, ask who to follow. And I, I give them, you know, a list of, of the usual suspects, right? On Instagram, but I always tell them, you know, make sure you start your own page, even if, you know, post everything. Don't worry about if it's any good or, or whatever. It's like, that's what I did. And that's how I, basically started getting all kinds of fantastic advice from the, these people that do know what they're doing, right? It's like, don't be afraid to show what you're doing. Um, there'll always be someone out there that's going to give you some good advice or uh, some critical feedback.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I, I prior to the Nomad, or I never really was into social media, but I, I decided to jump on it right when I got the Nomad, just as a personal thing to document my whole journey. Because I felt like... I just wanted a place where I could go to to look to see what I've done because it helps me kind of keep focus. And, you know, even if it's just snapping random pictures of what you're doing, do it. Like one picture a day is not that big of a deal. And eventually a year will go by and you have 365 pictures. And it's kind of cool to look back on what you've done because you can see how much you've grown. It's kind of like a real way to measure your growth. You know, otherwise you're just kind of thinking about memories and stuff. So it's very cool for that. And also like meeting all sorts of people talking and like checking out the instant missionist community and like seeing all these other cool people, uh, you get really inspired. And, um, I believe in this, like, you know, when you're, when you are inspired, then turn around and do something to try to inspire others, right. Kind of create this circle of inspiration because I know it's easy to just be inspired and, and take inspiration from someone. But I, I kind of feel like, you know, the whole karma thing, like move that forward and like try to do your best work, make the coolest thing that you can make and hopefully try to inspire other people so that they can do the same thing and inspire others. And now you have this huge chain of people that have been inspired by one another doing cool stuff. And I think I think the world kind of needs that right now. So
2: very good thought for those that may not know how to find the uh, Autodesk Cam Challenge. Uh, I'll put links in the show notes for both last year's uh, uh, showcase, I guess, <laughs> yeah, which is really nice to look at. And then um we'll probably go to air before uh, any winners are picked for this year. I think the cutoff for entries is next. I
0: think it's Wednesday.
2: Oh, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday night midnight. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure when they judge it. It'll probably be the week after. But um but you can start following the link I put in there. And at some point, Autodesk will start. Uh, actually you can look at the entries they'll, they'll they're probably already coming in and eventually they'll have the draw i mean the uh, the judging right and the results should be up i'm guessing in a week or two from now i'll have those links in the show notes um hey chris so you um you mentioned that <laughs> i'm still kind of trying to get my head around you bought uh a huge xxl shape of xxl oh, yeah. these little <laughs> 132 scale cars <laughs> um so tell me um so you and Winston, I guess uh kind of that's kind of the the nexus of how you two met, right?
1: yeah, I sent that email and it must have been something like, "Hey, how do you machine aluminum or why is this doing that?" And I remember my uh spindle wasn't tramming right, and like, oh my God, that was like a whole thing of itself, like you have to imagine like I was from no experience in this stuff not even machining or mechanical sense like jumping into this it was a huge thing um you know the the wiki was something that i had to read a lot but even then sometimes i didn't really understand what i was reading so uh, watching winston's videos and also like our email correspondence and stuff it, it really kind of helped push that and then it wasn't until i finally realized like i'm trying to make i'm trying to build stuff with like nails like i need a hammer i need the right tool for the job and that's when i started looking into like the nomad for the turnkey solution and stuff so that we still have that Shapeoko X though it's just it doesn't get too much use because uh, the shop ended up getting like a laser cutter um, and it's easier for them to kind of use that to make stuff yeah
2: yeah, I, um, I'm i kind of in the same boat I, I love my Shapeoko but uh, it's like it's a little bit more investment in time and time in getting that up and running compared to all the other machines I have here just because it's kind of I don't want to say it's a DIY but it's you know you start with the kit right and you put it together and doesn't come with an enclosure so you got to build that um so i'm kind of slowly getting all those little pieces in place uh but i, I actually uh, we're awfully close now <laughs> so got yeah, one one piece missing and then uh, i'll be uh, i'll be cranking out some shape stuff for uh, my instagram page
0: it's only been like half a year yeah
2: more than half a year i think i got it in uh, i want to say like march of last year um and I, i've done some work on. i just don't i don't video it because usually i i was rolling it out into the garage and it's like no good for video out there it's dim and uh if it was out there and i was making a part on it, it, was, it was something i just needed to crank out right so uh, uh i think i did post a little bit yeah i probably posted like a third of what i've done with that machine it's not it's not it's not exactly sitting here gathering dust it's getting used but uh it's not kind of getting featured so i want to get it uh more presentable and and usable inside, uh, inside the workshop, right where I use the rest of my machines and have all my camera gear set up. So almost there.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it's a great machine. You just need to make sure that it's for the right thing you want to do, I think.
2: I have like this it's pretty large backlog of uh, uh, big projects, right? I mean, large material or large part sizes right? that, that don't fit on anything else. So um, I'm ready to start working down that list. Uh, they're mostly stuff for friends and family. The shaper is really the only machine here that can do do the the bulk of those.
1: I mean, once you've seen you know Vince do his thing, it's kind of like okay, we're all slacking a little bit. We need to up the, up the game. So,
2: <laughs> so uh, and Winston, are you? Um, I know you're also entering the Cam Challenge, um, and you started kind of posting your stuff. Hopefully, I'm not giving away anything.
0: <laughs> I think you've gone no, public. It, with it. it's just more of an emotional roller coaster for me right now. So, um, I, I started collaborating with a uh, pretty good uh, fusion designer um, up in Canada, and she had an idea for a part. Uh, she mods Nerf guns. And that's That shouldn't be a, a giveaway, because people have already guessed what the part is on Instagram. Um, but she came up with a part. Uh, it's a flywheel cage for a blaster that she's modding, and she thought it'd be cool to do out of aluminum. and. Coincidentally, I'd been looking for sort of a more technical project to do on the Pocket NC, and I just I didn't really have any 5-axis parts to make. I was thinking, like, oh, maybe I could make, like, another Turner's Cube but actually use an undercutter and cut off the inside cubes. Um, but that just seemed like making something for the sake of making something. And to have a perfect uh, example of a functional part that requires uh, either multiple setups on a 3-axis or a single setup on a 5-axis um seemed like the perfect opportunity and so i seized upon that uh as something i I really wanted to do it'd be great practice for the pocket nc um but i've just run into so many headaches i thought cam would take me like an afternoon ended up taking me like close to two days um i was trying to get this piece it's about i want to say two two and three quarters inches tall or something but that's like a just barely within the max travel of the Pocket NC. Um, I had to like shorten my leads and change my containment boundaries to make sure the toolpaths didn't exceed the y-axis travel. It's like I've been butting right up against the envelope of what the Pocket NC can do. And if this part was a 16th of an inch taller, I would not be able to make it. Um, So just working around that constraint, and then I've just been, um, yesterday I, I crashed the machine twice within five minutes. Both of those, I guess, could be my fault. And then today I crashed the machine three times, but that was the Pocket NC's fault because I think the, the firmware got corrupted, so I had to reflash it. At midnight um, yesterday or, or this morning, Like I found out that uh, Fusion had somehow lost all of my uh, containment boundaries. So I had to roll back the model a couple versions to find one where the, the toolpath still worked. Um, and so, just the, these these ups and downs of when I think I'm making progress, all of a sudden I get hit with another setback, has been um, just a little bit frustrating. But I think the part in the end, assuming everything works, knock on wood, um, is going to be really cool. Uh, more than just a showcase of like what I've done before, which is like semi-functional parts like this one. There's like bolt holes. Like the the pattern has to be right. Uh, there's a main bore for a Nerf dart to travel through. Um, like the dimensions and tolerances actually matter here um, plus the part just itself is designed in a, a really elegant way um, so i'm excited uh, it's it is the most technically challenging part i've developed the cam for it's like 40 separate operations or something if it works it, it should be a pretty killer tab that i put at the bottom of this thing so uh i, I hope it's a compelling entry
2: yeah, I think, you know, making a part that somebody else designed is always a uh, uh, learning and expanding experience, right? It's <laughs> skill-expanding
0: experience. It is. In, in defense of my collaborator, she actually did a pretty good job of thinking through how to make it manufacturable. Um, so like, other than like a fillet being placed somewhere where it shouldn't have been or uh, internal corner that was too sharp, everything else about it was technically doable, I just had to pick up some rather exotic tooling to make it work. Um, I have a a Harvey, I think it's a 10x reach eighth inch end mill. So like a a tiny like three sixteenths of an inch of, of flutes and then like followed by an inch and almost a quarter of just extra shank behind it. It's a really goofy looking end mill.
2: The stock you're starting from is pretty big. It looked like it was like three inch by maybe one inch by two inch two and a half inch it's
0: it's two and a half inches wide it's three and a quarter tall uh and one inch thick and that that's maxed out the capacity of the pocket nc
2: yeah and it's a full uh full three plus two part you've got machining on every side of that uh top bottom front back everywhere right (laughs) Um, pretty much yeah yeah so it's gonna be a tough one uh it looks like you know it looks like uh it's coming along i know you like you said you had some challenges um but i think as i
0: think i'm about the halfway point um i finished all the roughing yeah well i mean on track is a relative term i was hoping to have this part finished yesterday um and i barely got through the first roughing operation yesterday
1: well, what was that rule again uh whatever time you think it's gonna take times
2: John Grimson, a pie time.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's totally true.
2: So Winston, for, um, I think it was a week or so ago, Winston posted this, this kind of, uh, frivolous, uh, version of the Autodesk cam Challenge, his, his, uh, compliment to it, which was the Autodesk bowl challenge. Um, cause we were all kind of thinking about surface finishes coming up, uh, cause that had been hinted at is, uh, kind of important for the Autodesk official cam challenge. And I think I started trying to see if I could how close I could get to a mirror finish a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, I think Winston, a few other people on Instagram were doing it, and then uh, Winston just kind of sprung a contest out there, or more of a just see what you can do, right? Uh, And posted a a test part that we all
0: yeah. I mean, I figured we needed a common part.
2: Compare uh, compare results, and Chris, you and you had something for that, right?
1: Yeah, I did it on the Nomad first. Um, I, you know, everyone is using ball and mill, so I wanted to try, uh, what if I had like a 20 thou corner radius, flattened mill? So I gave that a shot. It still had all these little, I don't know if it's like pitting is the correct word, or these little bumps around everywhere on the dome. So it wasn't really that great of a finish. Um, when I got the Bantam tool machine, I tried putting in 70-75 uh, aluminum, and I got a way better finish on that, but it's still not a mirror, you know. But I mean, it's way better looking than what I was getting on the Nomad. Um, I'm not sure if that's just because the material is a little bit harder and it cuts better and it's not so gummy, or is it just purely because 26 k uh, RPM, you got higher surface feet per minute, and that's what's helping the finish along. But using relatively the same tool paths. The finish was just amazing on the 7075.
2: Yeah, yeah. The, the RPM definitely makes a difference. Um, higher FSM, from my experience anyway, uh, I definitely see a positive impact from it. But anyway, yeah, so that kind of got some good uh, good participation. I, I'll put a link to that out there too. Uh, it's just an Instagram hashtag, but um, there was some really amazing... <laughs> it was kind of, you know, it was just this hobby guys doing it at first and it kind of caught the attention of a few... Uh, uh, the instant machine with big machines at their disposal, uh, like Marvin, uh, who's been, you know he's been on our show before. Marvin uh, uh, pretty much shut the rest of us up with his current his current uh, machined entry, but there's some really good ones on there, so it's worth a look. Um, so you're kind of yeah, you've got a new machine, Chris, that you're just starting to get comfortable with uh, the Bantam Tools machine, and at uh, the new job at MR Mold, are you going to be uh, are they five axis shop or is it all kind of traditional three axis so you're going to be kind of getting an opportunity to to move into multi-axis as part of this uh, new gig
1: they definitely have five axis machines they have wire edm they have ram edm and they have a ton of giant like three axis cncs everywhere so they have a really hefty machine shop i don't know if i'm going to be able to uh, get in there and do stuff it's, it's early because right now my department is strictly engineering design so that's all we've been doing um, but I'm hoping in the future I'll be able to slip in and kind of take a look I every time I take lunch I walk by the 5-axis just to see what it's doing and it just looks amazing every time I walk by so really hoping that I can get my foot in somehow um, unfortunately they all use Mastercam the program and uh, for the 3-axis and I'm not sure what they use for the 5-axis but I need to start learning that if I want to have any chance of kind of you know sneaking my way in <laughs> and trying to do what I can do over there.
2: Yeah, that's going to be good to see. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to post any of that. Probably not, but.
1: Uh... I'll try. I, I, I'm definitely, you know, I signed an NDA and everything for the stuff that we make because it's all protected proprietary stuff. But if I can take anything, I will take pictures because the shop is amazing. It's like heaven for me, like walking in there and seeing all that stuff go on. Um, so if I can, I'll definitely try to sneak some stuff.
2: I, I don't think we mentioned it at the beginning, but um, you're, you're, in southern california you're pretty close to where winston is now um la
1: area is that correct yeah we had uh i met miss for the first time in person we had lunch uh a week ago i think uh yeah it's cool to finally meet like somebody in the local because i you know prior to this i don't have anyone to talk to about this kind of stuff because no one i know is doing anything like this so it's definitely cool to meet up and like kind of nerd out a little bit about cnc
2: vince is pretty close to me he's like i don't know 45 minutes away, and uh, I probably needed to get up there a little more often than the one time I, I went up there. We talk all the time, but, um, but you know, I always enjoy, uh, really enjoyed seeing his shop last time, and he's, he's come a long way since Winston and I visited. Uh, machines have been heavily modified, and he's cranking out some really crazy stuff, so I'll probably get up there again, uh, see if we can get lunch or something. I don't know, I'm kind of doing all the talking, Winston. You want to talk a little bit, or you got something to up. I know you've got your uh, chip coming up
0: this week, right? I I do. I mean, I was perfectly happy letting you guys talk because it's like I've already met Chris. But um, I don't know. There, there's I'm, I'm sort of just, I had my eye on the, uh, the Pocket NC while you guys were talking. I had a camera feed pulled up um, just to make sure it didn't crash. Are again. you running your machine right now? It finished just a couple minutes ago. Um, It was running a finishing pass on the back side, which uh, for me is a little, um, having seen the machine just misbehave before, that's the part where I get a little nervous because that means I'm at the point where I have no stock to leave left. So if it does anything wrong, it's going to irreparably harm the part.
1: Yeah, you'd be surprised how much that happens, even on like the three axis stuff. Like I've ran a program twice and it failed on I me mean, the second time, which made no sense. But then I ran it a third time. I noticed that when it was doing like the final pass, the like contour pass, I guess the part, the little piece of it like flies out and then it wraps itself in the end mill and then it like stalls and twirls. And so it's like, even though it ran good the first time by luck, it's like you kind of, I started keeping that in mind, like, okay, as it's milling how are these excess stuff going to come off or are things going to start flying or wrapping around? And that that was challenging today, trying to cram for the cam challenge because I'm trying to run two machines and trying to cat at the same time. And then all of a sudden I hear, Brr, and this whole thing stops and I got to run over there. And I'm like, what happened? And then kind of like, you know, uh, troubleshoot something on the fly while all these things are going on.
2: Yeah, there's quite a bit of non-determinism in uh, this supposedly deterministic uh, machine tool path process, right?
0: that's still part of the fun for us hobbyists because like while the the big guys in the shops go for like process reliability uh, i mean we're still developing like practices to do basically the same thing like if we know something's gonna pop out and just fly across the cnc or or like cause you to miss a step then we use tabs or we put a little piece of double-sided tape underneath it's part of the fun of learning how to utilize these machines and bring them to bear the best in a way that Um, doesn't give you more headaches than when you started yeah. I love like process, like,
1: like making one thing is, is super fun and, and dialing it in, getting those tolerances, you know, chasing tents and stuff like that's super fun to me. Uh, it's not so much fun when like you finish that and you got to make a thousand. That's kind of like, uh, not where I want to be, but I love everything up into that. I love like failing and like fixing and like adjusting and adapting like that stuff's super fun. Cause I think for me, like being challenged and, and changing is important for to keep me into like uh Focused and entertained on what I'm doing. So, as soon as that kind of leaves the window, I start to lose like passion for whatever project that I'm doing.
2: Yeah, prototyping forever. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I like. Um, yeah, speaking of which, like, Winston, I don't know if you remember, um, Chris actually helped me with some of my uh, some prototypes I was doing for work holding for the Pocket NC. Uh, I can't remember. It was, it was about
0: yeah, the Pocket NC desperately needs better work holding.
2: Yeah, it, it's a machine that definitely inspires uh at least on my like I, I like kind of coming up with work holding for that machine because it's 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 kind of unique in the challenges of I guess any five axis machine, right? Work holding is always the, the kind of a unique challenge. Um but yeah, Chris Chris mentioned he had access to some bigger machines. I think Chris, you did uh you machine my uh that first prototype I had for uh I was trying to do like a kind of like a Urua design. Quick change pallet, uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of the redneck version. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Chris, Chris, um, uh, you machined those, so you had to. That was your first lathe part, right? The the stainless steel uh, center pin for the pallet.
1: Yeah, the pin and the two like quarter inch rods going in as a sliding action. Those are my first parts on the lathe. Um, and that was kind of scary, but, you know, powered through it and, and, and made the parts and super satisfying when I got everything to fit and the tolerance pretty dialed in, like, you know, having it like slip in there and not too much wiggle room. Um, but your your actual Part was the first thing that I've ever made from someone else's design, so that was pretty new for me to like, you know, when someone gives you something, like how does that whole process work? So fixturing, what am I going to do? How am I going to fit this on here? Like do that kind of stuff. So I actually made your thing like twice, and I effed up the first two times. So the one that I sent you was the third <laughs> time that I ended up uh, getting that right. But, I think that's the way we all yeah. do.
2: Uh, we all do those parts for other people, right? They get the one that they get the good one, and I have it. A desk full of like the bad ones. <laughs> They're kind of my, my little collection. I think even John Saunders had something along those lines when uh, Winston toured his shop. I saw his, I don't know he called it. It was kind of the desk, I don't want to say desk of shame, but <laughs> desk of not quite ready to ship this one yet. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um it's it's also like at the school setting like I you know there wasn't a class I was taking so as soon as class ended I would rush over there and I'd get about maybe 3 to 4 hours to run the machines and I was always trying to like cad the night before cam so I can come in uh, drop stock pick it up and then hit run and try to run as many of those machines as I could. So I think at one point I had one lathe and uh, two of the mills running, and just like watching everything going, and that was super fun too. Like to be able to maximize your time there, because you know a few hours a night, and then having to stop. Like it takes you an hour to set up. It's really not much machining time. So I had to keep try my best to like get things going and in that. Uh, so that was definitely a really fun experience. And just a quick note, like I learned. Everything I learned on the Nomad and Shapeoko, it transfers to the big machines. Just when you get to the big machine, they're just different buttons to press. And maybe a couple things that you can now use, like a probe or like a dial indicator, you can actually fit. But other than that, like my transition was very minimal. It was just learning how to press the buttons. And like, that's crazy to me that you can buy this small machine that fits in your apartment that can train you for these giant machines that you can't afford. And I, I just hope people understand that it's such a great tool to like, to train yourself and to break things and learn and then get on the big machine. And it totally just, it transfers. So I, I just hope people explore that as an option of anyone's contemplating jumping into this, uh, CNC madness.
2: Yeah. And I think, uh, Autodesk fusion plays a big role in that kind of seamless move from a small machine to big machine. Uh, you know, you can stay in that same environment and the time you invest in learning something hard, like CAD cam, right. Can translate, uh, to pretty much any machine it can post to which is that's kind of cool um but yeah i just wanted to say thank you for that part uh for the for the fixture i've actually i had it out recently because um, i have the tombstone mounted on the uh the test pocket and see here which i've been posting about um but one of the things i did you know i love the tombstone but i you know first design you always think of things after you've kind of built it and used it a little bit that you would do differently and the like the mounting screws to put it on the rotary table are covered by the vice. Uh the four it's a quad vice, right? On the one I'm talking about, the quad vice tombstone. Um once the vices are mounted, I can't get to the mounting holes that that bolt it to the rotary table. So I have to like pull the vices off to pull the tombstone off. So I was kind of thinking, you know, that plate, the quick release that you machined for me, um, like a variation of that would have been perfect. I'd have to shorten the tombstone a little bit, but basically just drop the, get rid of the base plate on the tombstone and have it mount to that plate where I could just push a button and I can take it off and swap it out. Cause I, I, my goal originally with the, with the tombstones was to have uh like hot swappable or not or swappable, right? Have one that I'm setting up at stock while the other one's being machine and just be able to swap them out and keep going. Um, But right now it's like I gotta tear down the or tear down the tombstone to get it on off the the machine. So um, it still still works really well, but I just need to. I think I'll I'll keep going with that design. Um, Learned a lot from the you know actually having a physical part that you made um, helped me kind of see where I'd go next with that.
1: Yeah, and that that's kind of the dream for me too. Like, how do we take these you know big industry standards like pallet fixturing and stuff, and how do we bring that to our small machines? Because I have so many ideas for like palette fixtures, uh, quick releases. I'm, I, I want to make a vacuum table for the nomad. So like, there's all these like cool things that I want to take that I see like from Pearson workholding or whatever. And I want to like miniaturize them for our scale. Cause it'd be super cool to do that. So I absolutely love, I hate and love fixturing at the same time. Cause sometimes it can really annoy you, but at other times, like it's really cool when you make something that actually works.
2: So we're, we're, we're getting close to an hour. Um, so I had a couple more questions to ask you. So now that you're kind of jumping in with two feet into uh the world of big uh big manufacturing, are you still gonna keep doing what you're doing on Instagram uh with the nomad and the desktop class machines? Is that still in your future?
1: Oh yeah. Like I, I love the Nomad and the Bantam. So, and like I'm actually envious of you guys because you guys have a pocket in C and fifth axis is like my next like thing I want to do. And I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see, you know, between the pocket and C or the fifth Ascus maker, like which one I want to get, but I definitely want to dive into that. And hopefully Winston will be cool enough for me to just stop by and like play around with his pocket and C since he's so close. Um, but I definitely want to keep doing this. And eventually the the idea is to like, learn what I can from injection molding at work and then bring those concepts at home. And I want to make products. Like I've been trying to make a pen for like two years. And I have not been able to find um, the thing that I want to make, like the mechanism or the style or anything. And I've been, I don't know how many iterations I've gone through, but eventually one of these days I will crack that. And I will make a pen and then I might have to buy a life tool lathe to produce those. But that's like the dream, you know, so I definitely I'm going to use these machines at home to continue that pursuit and to make me better as a machinist, as a product designer. Um, but the whole idea is if I can work as a mold designer during the day and then in the evenings and night, I can make my own products to sell kind of like the Grimsel story. Uh, that would be the most amazing life that I could possibly dream of.
0: Chris, I'm going to put it out in a public forum that you are authorized to borrow my pocket NC for a month, Um, especially if you want to make a 5-axis part, bring it into work, and just build up a little street cred with your 5-axis coworkers. It's cool with me. Yeah,
1: like, I mean, those guys, I think they have, like, a Yazda, and he was telling me, like, it's over, like, a million dollars or something with all the tooling. And I I was like, what in the world? They, like, they had to carve out a six-foot-by-six-foot six slab and put new concrete in just to hold the machine to separate it from the rest of the shop. So, I think it's massive. Yeah. So, yeah, just that – I really appreciate that. I can't wait to, uh, you know, play around with the 5-axis stuff because that's definitely been – uh, what I've been drooling over when you guys are posting all your stuff on Instagram.
2: I was gonna say, if you're thinking about getting one for yourself, um, we're we're recording. What is this Sunday, the seventeenth? So keep an eye out on uh, Pocket and C's blog. I think next week there's gonna be some something good. <laughs> Let's just say that some good, uh, awesome, good announcement. Yeah, about where they're going with the with the uh, the V two.
0: Now I was, I was just gonna. Uh, just chime in and say that after this current 5-axis project, I'm probably going to be pretty traumatized about 5-axis for a while, so it'll be the perfect time to to switch it out. You can trade me your Bantam tools machine, and let me experience the joys of uh, SFM.
1: Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. I can't wait for you to try that. I I literally was smiling like crazy, like, just being able to hit those... I think I hit 850, which is about the closest to max, and that, that was pretty amazing.
0: Which is, that's that's in the sweet spot for aluminum. But actually, um, while you guys were talking with each other in our little hangout chat, um, it just, it made me appreciate our community more because if you want to borrow the Pocket NC or if I want to borrow your uh, uh, Bantam Tools machine, like, we can actually just meet up face-to-face and you can show me how to get started because trying to follow along in your chat with no context was a little difficult, um, but I'm sure I could pick it up a lot more quickly just having you physically there, like just pull up the UI, show me what I need to do. Um, So I'm actually pretty excited about that.
1: Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I got a little tipsy and, and then tried to like make a uh, use a new machine while you're a little drunk is never fun. And I couldn't get the I couldn't I couldn't get the damn thing to work. And like it took me until I sobered up the next day to figure it out. But I ended up using like uh, the wrong post. I thought it was Tiny G. I didn't know they had another mail post. And um, the workflow is a little different on the Bantam tools. But I do like it now that I figured it out. So, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to show you just give you a rundown because it's always faster to learn from somebody showing you than trying to watch a YouTube video or something.
2: We'll probably wrap it up now. I know, Winston, you're going to be at Workbench Cons leaving Wednesday, right? So you are are you there? Uh...
0: I am leaving Wednesday, hanging out in Atlanta for a, just a, doing a little sightseeing on Wednesday, um, getting in mid-afternoon, so not a lot of time. And then Thursday evening, all the, the festivities start. That's the the sort of um, kickoff, happy hour type thing. And then uh, just rubbing, rubbing shoulders with all the, the famous people out there um and handing out stickers is that
2: going all through the through the weekend
0: uh it's it's full day friday and saturday and uh sunday is just your travel day okay
2: well if we have uh any other dfx listeners going out there be sure to look for winston he's got stickers and maybe some other swag to hand out we'll see um oh did you guys get a place to stay that was kind of uh, up in the air last on the last episode
0: oh yeah yeah no we, we found another um, Airbnb place. So fun thing I learned is that if um, a person, a host on Airbnb cancels a reservation for any reason, um, they're not able to have the super host status. Uh, so if you browse through the listings, you can see some people have that uh, particular little badge. And um, we, we, after the frustration of being canceled on with like two or three weeks notice, um, we started to to realize the benefits of just going with a tried and true um host instead of trying to find the best deal possible so uh just in case anyone else is uh, looking for a place to stay that it's something to consider yeah
2: and chris have you have you gone or do you participate in any like maker fairs or uh autodesk uh university or anything like that or is this all kind of in your future
1: uh this is all in the future like i i don't even know what workbench on is but uh autodesk university is definitely on my board uh really want to go there this year just to kind of meet everyone and check everything out um the maker fairs are definitely interesting because i recently got a 3d printer um the formlabs one and i've been messing around with that and that's been super cool so just i you know this is all still kind of new to me and once i get a little bit more time i definitely want to be out there and uh, walk around seeing what other people are making Oh, great. well I want to uh,
2: thank you for coming on our show. really appreciate it, and I hope we can uh, check in with you a little bit later in the season, see how things are going with you at uh, MR mold. and uh, I know we didn't get really didn't get a chance to talk about the additive side of what you're doing over there. maybe we'll we'll, we'll uh, circle back to that next time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you guys having me on here. I'm super humbled by this whole experience, so uh, thank you for that and uh. You guys have literally made uh, my whole week here. Yeah, thanks, Chris, and good luck in the contest.
0: Good luck to both of you. Even though uh, we're probably going to get overshadowed by by million dollar machines.
2: I don't know about you guys, that doesn't bother me at all. As a matter of fact, I'd love. That's actually kind of my favorite part of the of the contest is seeing what the big guys, big machines do, right? Because it's so awesome. But um, yeah, I mean, I like to me that's. Like, not a not an impediment at all to entering because I, I just like to show what the small machines can do too, right? And I think you guys do. You know, I didn't really show them in their best light last time because <laughs> I ran out of time. But uh, but if I if I'm able to get an entry this year, I, I'm hoping it's going to kind of you know speak well of uh, what a small desktop machine can do. And I'm, I know you guys, Chris's was awesome last time, um, really creative, and as was yours, Winston.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Though, like, uh, you know, we may not have big machines, but that's part of the fun. Because I could have drove over and used the Arrow CNC to make something, but um, like you, I just want to showcase these machines. Like, it, you can make a lot of cool stuff, and you're not really—I um, I hate complaining about what you have. It's, it's more about using what you have to its fullest potential. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I,
2: I'd encourage you know any hobbyist that wants to enter the Autodesk CAM challenge. Um, don't be intimidated by what's going on with the or the entries coming in from the big guys. Um, we all love to see the what the hobby machines can do too. Uh, there's a big audience out there of people that have machines just like you and me and Winston, and uh, you know I'd like to see what other folks are doing with those too. So uh, hopefully we'll get a lot of entries this
0: year.
1: Yeah, don't feel bad getting burned by current because that that'll heal real quickly. So don't worry about that. It's just
0: it forces you to think creatively about something that you wouldn't otherwise think about. Cause without the challenge, I'd probably just keep going down my, my project queue and just make things that I think about. Um, but like the themes as annoying as it is to have like surface finish as like the main theme, it forces you to think in different ways. And um, I mean, that sort of kickstarted my obsession with trying to understand surface finish on hobby machines so um it, it is still a good creative exercise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was pretty blown away by uh, Marv's uh, performance there. Uh that's pretty amazing.
0: If you were at AU, you would not be surprised. He brought some some rejects from their shop and his rejects were still just as like brilliantly polished yeah and that was like in
2: uh i think 50 plus rockwell <laughs> hard steel hard tool steel <laughs> so uh yeah you still can get those mirror finishes okay well guys i'm uh i'm gonna wrap it up and i hope you guys uh listen, have a safe trip and chris best of luck in your new venture i uh, hope to hope you can well you probably can't post <laughs> any of that but i uh, hope to at <laughs> least kind of hear from you on how that's going so uh, I think I'll say goodnight here,
0: guys. Sounds good. Chris, pleasure having you on, and I uh, hope to see you in person soon. Yeah,
1: thank you guys so much. Have a great night, everyone.